I'm Julia Gerlach, Managing Editor of No-Till Farmer. Welcome to the No-Till Farmer podcast series brought to you today by Montag Manufacturing. I encourage you to subscribe to this series, which is available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Subscribing will allow you to receive an alert about new episodes when they're released. I'd like to take a moment to thank Montag Manufacturing for sponsoring today's episode. Montag Manufacturing is your fertilizing equipment specialist, offering dry, liquid, and complete fertilizer systems as well as auto steer carts. Montag's precision fertilizer placement solutions will reduce your rate, increase your yield, and assist your stewardship goals. Visit them at montagmfg.com. That's M-O-N-T-A-G-M-F-G.com. For this episode of the No-Till Farmer podcast, we're sharing the story of kindred North Dakota no-tiller Lynn Overbow, as narrated by frequent no-till farmer contributor Dan Crummett. Farming 1,200 acres near the North Dakota-Minnesota border, about 30 miles from Fargo, Overbow has developed a number of solutions and hacks to improve his chances of success over his past two-plus decades of no-tilling. Listen in to hear about how simple adjustments to his gauge wheels and seed discs helped him overcome muddy conditions, how a quick phone call to a manufacturer solved row cleaner issues, why he splits his cover crop seed mixes into large and small seeded species, how a pair of pantyhose was the answer to an air seeder calibration problem, and more. This may sound crazy for a 72-year-old to say, but I can't retire because I'm at the top of my game. My soil is the best it's ever been. I've learned how to overcome issues, identified shortcuts, and I'm still learning to be the best custodian of God's land that I can be. It's a long learning process to figure out how to work with the land, and I don't want to throw all of that away now, especially since I'm having so much fun. One thing I've learned is that the little things often make or break your success. If you're not able to sort out little things holding you back, like sticky soils keeping you from no-tilling, or a seed meter calibration issue that stops you from multi-species cover crop experimenting, the big changes can't play out. I've had many big problems to solve and have had some phenomenal successes. Managing moisture was at the heart of the biggest knot I had to untangle, especially as I made the shift to no-till. I'm finally to the point where I've got that well in hand with pattern tiling, machinery adjustments, and cover crops, but that hasn't always been the case. An average of 24 inches of rain and 49 inches of snow fall on my farm every year. Soils vary from heavy clay to highly erodible sand. The heavy clays are typically tabletop flat where the sandy soils are found in our slightly sloping fields. Those cross over into the ancient bed of Lake Agassiz, a massive and, in fact, the largest known ancient glacial meltwater lake that covered all of Manitoba and a sizable hunk of Ontario. A tail of that reaches down into our area southwest of Fargo. The sandy fields were so consistently wet in the spring that I had to create what I now call my Jesus sprayer. It could walk on water. It's a 90-foot sprayer that I mounted on a three-point hitch on the back of my tracked John Deere 8520T. It carries 1,200 gallons. It can go anywhere I want with its 24-inch tracks, and it's guided by a Deere RTK system. It could have used a duck detector, though. I go out of my way to avoid wildlife, even flagging nests in the field. One time, when crossing a spot where the water had collected, I had to wait for an entire family of ducks to clear the path. 
When I say wet fields, I mean wet fields. These soils were a struggle no matter how they were farmed. The situation only amplified when I started no-tilling in 1996. Moisture was absolutely my biggest problem. The soils were cold, wet, and sticky with extra residue. In the early years, I would come in from a day of planting and my hands were bloody from the hours spent cleaning mud out of my seed discs. I was running a double-disc corn planter, which certainly isn't the best idea in wet conditions. I had tried many steel contraptions as disc cleaners to save the frustration and band-aids. However, the best disc cleaner ended up being my rubber gauge wheels. I use four-inch wide rubber gauge wheels that I frequently replace to ensure excellent contact. I added bolts to pull the wheels tight up against the seed discs on both my planter and no-till drill. You can't spin a gauge wheel on my planter or drill without the adjacent disc turning also. It was a constant job changing shims and tightening to keep the gauge wheels polishing the dirt off the seed discs. Today, it's not nearly the problem as my soils are nicely conditioned from no-till and far more functional. I don't fight moisture nearly as much. However, I still keep my gauge wheels firmly pushed against the seed discs on my 42-foot Deer 1850 no-till air seeder, also my 24-row Deer 1770 NT planter. To save wear and tear on the gauge wheels, I reverse all my discs so the sharp edge isn't consistently cutting into the rubber of the gauge wheel. I just flip them around so the bevel worn on the disc points away from the gauge wheel and everything works great. Another issue surrounding planting into wet soils arose with the use of Martin row cleaners. I happened to be in the field closest to my house, so close in fact I could use my portable house phone from the tractor in the days before cell phones. I was having issues with mud and I was getting very fed up. I called Martin Industries and spoke with Howard Martin himself. He walked me through the solution right there. On his advice, I adjusted the row cleaners so they just delicately swept the residue aside without disturbing the soil. I had set them too aggressively. They were sweeping away the dry layer of soil along with the residue exposing wet, muddy soil that stuck in my seed discs. Today, my soils are conditioned beautifully with no-till, so setting my row cleaners is not as critical. Soil structure keeps moisture moving in the soil, and soil life keeps residue cycling. I always maintain a light touch. Early on, I did a lot of reading and went to a lot of soil health classes. I learned that the benefits of soil health, soil organic matter, and earthworms. The earthworms are the canary in the coal mine. If they're happy, your soils are probably happy. With that in mind, I refuse to incorporate any type of tillage in my operation, not even the light vertical tillage. In my opinion, even that light touch is like a low-flying airplane coming over your house every year and knocking off your chimney. You could still live there, but you'd probably want to move eventually. I figure the earthworms might have the same idea if I continue to disturb a portion of their home. We'll get back to Dan Crummett reading Lynn Overbow's story in a moment, but I want to take time once again to thank our sponsor, Montag Manufacturing, for supporting today's episode. Montag Manufacturing is your fertilizing equipment specialist. 
offering dry, liquid, and complete fertilizer systems, as well as auto steer carts, Montag's Precision Fertilizer Placement Solutions will reduce your rate, increase your yield, and assist your stewardship goals. Visit them at montagmfg.com. That's M-O-N-T-A-G-M-F-G.com. Now let's get back to the recording as we hear about how Overbow used tile and cover crops to further manage moisture. Besides going no-till, one of the best moves I made was to pattern tile my entire farm. It's been extremely beneficial and is one of the reasons I can seed every square foot of my fields every spring. Between tiling and no-till, I'm often in the field now in conditions that would have kept me out before. Tile is spaced on 40-foot laterals on heavy soil and up to 100-foot laterals on sandy soil. Most of the tile systems are run on pumps with only one of my sandy fields relying on gravity. The sandy land was the first to be tiled. Once the system was up and running, we estimated it was removing one and a half million gallons of water from that field each day. So much water moves through our tile lines, we have to be careful of how we discharge it. Where we go into a highway and county ditches, we've had to try tactics such as rubber mats at the discharge site to prevent erosion. Despite these accommodations, the benefits far outweigh the challenges. The final piece of the puzzle for dealing with excess moisture in my fields has been cover crops. I've had great luck with cereal rye. It puts a phenomenal root system into the soil and provides armor to prevent weeds on the surface. It would handle any excess moisture in my fields, but the reality is between tiling and long-term no-till, my soils manage moisture well enough already. But the more organic matter I get in my soils, the better they'll work for me. I have multi-species covers aerially applied into standing corn to get it up and growing as soon as possible. My harvest can go very late in the season as I favor vintage equipment. I use a six-row corn head and do all my own trucking, so drilling cover crops when I finish harvest isn't an option. Fortunately, I have a great partner when it comes to aerial seeding cover crops. My ag service provider, Wapaton Wilbur Ellis Company, flies a large aircraft capable of hauling 4,500 pounds of cover crop seed. They carefully watch the weather and seed just before a rain if possible. They've done an exquisite job on timing and I've had great success with cover crops they've seeded. My older combine doesn't shred or chop corn stalks. Those stalks stay standing all winter and help collect snow with cover crop growing underneath. In the spring, I drill soybeans directly into that growing cover crop, pulling my air seeder at a slight angle to the corn rows so I'm not seeding directly into the root balls. I then come back and spray the cover crop to terminate it. I have zero issues seeding into residue, not even when conditions are at their worst, like in 2019. I wasn't able to harvest all my corn in the fall of 2018, so I ended up doing a spring harvest on one farm. The corn crop was phenomenal, 250 bushels per acre, with a multi-species cover crop growing underneath. I seeded soybeans the day after I harvested corn and they took off like a rocket. My field was surrounded by conventionally tilled soybeans managed by very capable farmers, and I don't know how their yields compared, but my soybeans looked so much better than the others all year. They grew so tall, the tops hit the booms on my sprayer during an in-season application. It was fun. I also drill cover crops behind wheat or rye crops. 
Rye has a tendency to self-seed, so when I grow it as a cash crop, I get a great residual bonus cover. It simply adds to the mixes that I plant. As part of an environmental quality incentives program project, and with the guidance of NRCS, I've planted a multi-species mix the past five years. The mixes contain seven to nine species with a selection of warm and cool season grasses and broadleaves such as turnips, radishes, cereal rye, sunflowers, clover, and millet. Seeds in the mixes do tend to segregate by size as you bump through the field. I'm fortunate in that my seed tank is divided, so I'm able to split the mixes into large and small seed species. But before I figured that out, I would have areas where there was a high concentration of small seeded species, like turnips or radish, and then almost none throughout the rest of the field. The point is to have them growing together, so it was an issue I was glad I was able to correct. The one place I don't seed cover crops is into standing soybeans. I'm concerned the growing cover crop would potentially get large enough before harvest, especially if harvest was delayed, to cause problems with my deer flex head. Extra biomatter, especially green and growing, would grind harvest down to a crawl. One issue that plagued me with the multi-species cover crops besides seed segregation was calibrating my air seeder for a small seeded species. I would be seeding a field and run out of seed in the small tank about halfway through the intended seeding area. I called the company that makes my air tank and spoke with a rep who revealed that a nylon stocking was the missing piece of the puzzle. Mind you, this little bit of information was certainly not in the user's manual. When following the book to the letter, I would stop the fan on the air cart, open the gate under the tank, and engage the hydraulic motor to turn the meter. I would catch the seed, weigh it, and input the data into the tractor's computer. It would count how many times the meter rolled over and extrapolate how fast the meter should turn to seed the desired pounds per acre. Except with small seeds, it was always wrong. That's because the small seeds won't readily drop into the airstream without the tank being pressurized. Therefore, the gravity method doesn't work. To get the air pressure, I disconnect the hose carrying the seed up to the air seeder, secure a nylon stocking over the opening with a hose clamp, then start the fan. Seed is deposited in the stocking and air blows against the stocking and the seeds, pressurizing the tank like it would be when the openers are engaged in the soil in the field. Finally, my small seed calibration started being correct. It's little problems like this that add up and make no-till, cover crops, and other major shifts so hard for beginners. It just reinforces to me the need to be part of a group that meets and compares ideas and methods. Thanks to North Dakota no-tiller Lynn Overbow for sharing his story and Dan Crummett for narrating it. To listen to more podcasts about no-till topics and strategies, please visit notillfarmer.com forward slash podcasts. Once again, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Montag Manufacturing, for helping to make this no-till podcast series possible. If you have any feedback on today's episode, please feel free to email me at jgerlock at lessetermedia.com or call me at 262-777-2404. If you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or the Google Play Store to get an alert as soon as future episodes are released. You can also keep up on the latest no-till farming news by registering online for our no-till insider daily and weekly email updates and dryland no-tiller e-newsletter. 
And be sure to follow us on Twitter at No-Till Farmer with Farmer spelled F-A-R-M-R and our No-Till Farmer Facebook page. For our entire staff here at No-Till Farmer, I'm Managing Editor Julia Gerlach. Thank you for listening.